Hi, this is Libby. And this is Roberta. And this is Art Blog Radio. We're talking today with Carl Marin. We first saw Carl Marin's work when he was a student at the Tyler School of Art. He's a sculptor, and he was taking a painting class and making sculptures that had a lot of color in them. Carl's works have to do with his life outdoors, hunting and fishing. Carl's father was a taxidermist in Willow Grove. More recently, Carl has begun to use taxidermy in his sculptures, sometimes mixing a stuffed animal or a ship with the taxidermied real animal. He also works as a bicycle builder at Belenke Cycle Works, a Philadelphia bike shop. We're speaking with Carl at WHYY Studios in Philadelphia. So where is your studio anyway? Uh, my studio is in Willow Grove at my father's old house. I'm using his old taxidermy studio right now. Are you making the taxidermies that go into your taxidermy pieces? Uh, yes. Your sculpture, yeah? I've been doing the taxidermy. Okay, and your dad taught you how to do that, did he? Yeah, yeah. I used to work, I worked in the shop, I guess, for like two years doing some taxidermy. When you were in high school? Yeah. Like young? Yeah, yeah, young. Why don't you tell us a little bit about your new work? We've seen an image of a piece that is a deer head that's partly missing the front, like the nose piece, and has a ship coming out of it. I've been trying to, I guess, embody the idea of this epic kind of hunt on the deck of the ship. It's like an 1800s whaling ship coming out of the face is a, uh, a whale being processed into oil. I guess I was like reading Moby Dick at the time, so <laughs> I got really into the idea of making a whaling ship. Where did the idea of mixing you know, apples and oranges come from, the taxidermy and the ship? Moby Dick was like a story that everyone can kind of relate to, or a lot of people have read it, so just this uh, stereotype of hunting, I guess. <laughs> like it's this stereotype, it's this hunt that everyone's read about. I figured it was the most epic hunt. wanted to combine it with the hunt that I've been around most of my life, so whitetail deer. <laughs> well, one of the things I find really funny about this is that when you were a student, you had made a piece that was a a sort of a white desk that was floating on a blue rug that was like the little pond ocean. And um, Roberta and I used to joke that this desk was Moby Dick. <laughs> yeah, Moby Desk. I remember it. that. I remember that, yeah. <laughs> you have been taking photographs recently, and in fact, one of your photos was in the Print Center's International uh, Photography Competition. That was this year, I think. Mm-hmm. And if I remember, it was a photo of a deer, but it it had some strange, it looked like a taxidermy deer, but I think it wasn't. So can you tell us about that project? Yeah, that was was a photograph from a piece that happened at Chester Springs, 2009. They had invited a bunch of artists to come out there, and they had all this land to work with, and so I proposed uh, making this faux interior in the middle of their field, and I was going to go hunting for a white-tailed deer on the taxonary base. So. What you made had a backdrop wall, if I recall, and then it had sort of a rug with a little, like, sandbox area on yeah. it. Yeah, then it had a deer feed built into it also. So you were stalking the deer, baiting. Well, I, I was baiting it. Was, you were baiting it. Yeah, yeah. So I was trying to bait them in there, and it actually took three months to get the photograph. I had a motion sensor camera out there so I can monitor what times the deer were coming and if they were coming at all 
And, uh, and, and what then, time did they come? Generally? They're generally coming uh, either in the middle of the night, which was hmm. no good for me. And <laughs> also, they were coming like in the afternoon. But I, I only had the weekends to actually, because I was trying to go about it as if I was actually hunting. I was like, well, I can't quit my job to go hunting, so I guess I will uh, go out on the weekends. So I would generally get there and sit a stand before like dawn to dusk. So did you take a lot of abortive photos that didn't work, even though the deer was there? No, I actually, it only, it only happened once that I was there when the deer were there in January. And I got there early in the morning, and the deer were in the field next to the piece. And uh, it was snowing when I got there. The carpet was all covered in snow, and it looked, didn't look good. So I ended up sweeping the entire thing off. The deer ran away. Then I sat the blind, and sure enough, they came back, and they, it took them like two hours, but they crawled back and like right onto the set. And I mean, I, I didn't know what was going to happen when I took the, I thought they were going to run away when I took the photograph. So I was like waiting for them to be in the perfect position, and I got the one photograph, and they didn't go anywhere. So I had like a, an hour photo session with the deer at that point, so... <laughs> And thank God, because it never happened again. I left it up for another month, and it never happened again. People thinking about art taking a long time, but not quite in that way. <laughs> <laughs> so what is your orientation to hunting? Was this an anti-hunting piece? I guess it's always because, um, I mean, I've grown up around hunting, and, like, growing up I'd go hunting with my dad, but I was always really bored and didn't like sitting still in the cold. I just wanted to go out and maybe ride my bike or something like that instead. Like now I can, I have more of an appreciation for hunting, sitting like still in nature, trying to be a part of hunting, but not actually hunting. So I've been combining like my admirations and uh, things I kind of disagree with about hunting. So you together. don't hunt anymore? No, I don't hunt really. Like I'll go bird hunting occasionally or something like that, but I guess I went bear hunting last year, but that was more of like a, a party. Than, you know, so. <laughs> Did the bears think so? Uh, I don't think so, no. It was three days of hell for them. So. <laughs> so there's an element of nostalgia in your work, it seems. Um, are you trying to recapture something? Recapture? I guess so, yeah. I think there's a whole nostalgia around hunting. Like the idea of like it's this really basic instinct to do, but it's kind of like one that's been pushed out of being necessary. It's actually just worked its way into uh, wildlife management. It's just keeping a population in control. That's always the circle that I go through in my head, I guess, at least. I guess my work's trying to work out those issues. Yeah, we've been very specific, but it seems to me that hunting is a metaphor. I mean, I don't really think that your work is about hunting. I think it's about something bigger. Worrying about nature and the animals in nature is very, is tantamount to worrying about yourself and your own position in nature and will the human race survive? And I, you know, I sort of think that's what Moby Dick is about too. You uh, know, it's really about bigger things than just the specific hunt. Yeah. I never finished Moby Dick actually. <laughs> Nine out of ten people will tell you the same thing, so know, don't feel bad. That was a battle in itself. <laughs> Actually, when I was reading that book, because that 
deer head piece, actually. It took three years to finish. And I eventually, and I kept reading, like I always was dragging Moby Dick around with me. <laughs> I was like, oh, I have to read this book. And uh, I started to feel like they were both the same thing because neither of them were getting finished. And like, and they both just seemed like a huge amount of work in my mind to do. So, so are you a tinkerer? You work in a bicycle shop and you do yeah. welding and things <laughs> like that. We remember early work that you did that had robotic parts in it from like Radio Shack. The fish, uh, it was actually a, a combination. I had this Billy the Bass and I had uh, two remote control cars that I got probably when I was 16. And uh, I combined the radio control board from the car into the Billy the Bass. And then I was like, oh, I have a remote control fish. So <laughs> I was really into thinking about how complicated like the human body and all that, I mean, just life is, I guess. And Science is always like, it seems like it's so advanced, and there's all these things that, like, I don't know how a TV works or anything like that. And I still think it's like black magic. So I was into this idea of making this thing that looked really complicated, that had a program that would tell the fish to open its mouth and flap its tail. And then I was like, well, I can make this perpetually dying fish. But no one knew what was happening or how it was working, and it was kind of like my metaphor for... <laughs> Life, I guess. <laughs> so, um, when did you build your first bike? Um, I built my first bike when I was at Tyler, actually. Um, I was like, it's a bike. It's like not rocket science. So, I tried going about making my own bike and got some uh, gas pipe from, I guess, Fazio's in New Jersey. We're not talking a kit here, right? Oh, what's that? Oh, a kit. <laughs> a yeah, it was, kit. Yeah, there was this no was kit. from scratch. It was from scratch. It was from scratch, yeah. I actually went to Blinky and got a head tube and a bottom bracket from them, and they're like, oh, good luck, and then <laughs> went away, and I got some dropouts and uh, from the bike shop I worked at. And, dropouts? Uh, dro oh, that's like where the wheel goes into on your bike. Okay. I drew up a plan. I stole some geometry from some bike online I found and uh, made it all up and cut all the tubes by hand and then went about welding it, blew a big hole in the... Uh, the head tube, the welder just melted right through it because it was super thin. It weighed 14 pounds in the end, the frame alone. It was just really, I mean, I'm, I want to use it as a boat anchor someday <laughs> or something like that. But uh, Was it rideable? It was rideable. I rode it for a year and a half, like, rode in the woods. The wheel was really crooked in the back, <laughs> and I put I welded the bottom bracket in backwards. That and did you show thing. this as art? Was and, this well, bike art? I never considered it art. But I took it to Blinky, and uh, that's how I got my job there, actually, was I brought that bike by there. And they were like, oh, you got that far. So <laughs> <laughs> so I didn't, I didn't pick up as a welder there right away or anything like that. Well, thank you, Carl. We've been talking with Carl Marin, and we're at the studios of WHYY, sort of. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Carl. Thank you. Art Blog Radio is brought to you by theartblog.org. Thanks to our sponsors, including the Knight Foundation and Fleischer Art Memorial. Also, we want to thank Peter Crimmins, who makes us sound good. He's our editor. And Eric Biondo, who provided the music. You can download these podcasts at theartblog.org slash radio. <laughs>